Tonight's reading is from Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. So we've got Isaiah, he goes into this temple, he has this incredible vision of God, of God Almighty in all his splendor, in all his majesty, and it really affects him deeply, and it changes him, and it transforms his life. And three things happen to Isaiah in that temple. Firstly, if you're taking notes, I've got three points. You're going to love it. Firstly, he is overcome in the presence of God. Secondly, he's undone by the presence of God. And then thirdly, he's sent out in the presence of God. That is my whole sermon. That's all I have to say. But I have got a few more things. No, no, no. I've got a few more things to say. Um, So we're going to look at these three things, how Isaiah is overcome and he is undone and then he's sent out in the presence of God. So firstly, he is overcome. He's overcome. Confession time. I went through years of life as a Christian where I would come to any form of worship with an attitude. And my attitude might have been one of these things. It might have been an attitude of cynicism, where I came into church or to some worship thing and was like, what is going to annoy me about what's going to happen tonight? You know, who is not going to move the PowerPoint on quick enough? And it's going to really bug me. Zach, you're doing an amazing job. That wasn't personal. Um, (laughs) What is going to bug me? You know, when is the guitarist going to tap their foot out of time and it's going to really grate with me? What is the preacher going to say that's going to bug me? That attitude of cynicism. Or sometimes I came to worship with this attitude of, God, you're not going to get me tonight. And sort of put down, sort of held everything really close. God, you're not going to get me tonight. Or maybe it might have been something like, Holy Spirit, keep your distance from me. Because I need to be in control of this situation. And you're laughing because you know that actually you come sometimes, maybe you don't, maybe it's just me, to worship with those sorts of attitudes, those things that we put on ourselves when we come to church or some worship thing. Now you might think, well that meant that I was closed off from God, that I never encountered God. But you know, 
What I found was that God is far bigger than me and he's far bigger than my agenda or my attitude. So sometimes you'll be surprised to hear that Holy Spirit ignored my instructions and came and met with me anyway and transformed me. He broke into my closed heart or to my cynicism or the things that I put on myself to keep the Holy Spirit out. And he met me sometimes in incredible ways, reminding me that he's got my life, not him, not me. Like the time where once I was at this big uh, Christian conference down south, and uh, at the end of, you know, sometimes here at P's and G's, when somebody speaks, uh, people are given the opportunity to come forward uh, for prayer. And that particular evening, it was a very specific uh, request for people to come forward. Because the person who'd been preaching said, I feel like God wants anybody who is in full-time Christian ministry, I'm thinking, oh, flipping egg, who preaches the gospel of Jesus on a regular basis to people who do not yet know Jesus to come forward. That was me. And so I thought, okay, I'll go forward. And I went forward, and there was a whole load of us, and it was literally like man, 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 woman, man, 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 man woman that was it two of us at the front there was about 65 people stood along the front and I was over there in that corner thinking god you're not going to get me I can't believe I'm stood here at the front anyway and uh, and this guy simply went along and he was just praying for people saying be filled with the Holy Spirit be filled with the Holy Spirit be filled with the Holy Spirit and God was working in different people's lives as he moved along be filled with the Holy Spirit be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm stood there thinking, I am filled with the Holy Spirit. Anyway, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he got to me, and he stood there in front of me, and he didn't say, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He said something completely different, but it was very profound, and it was very specific, and it was what God wanted to say to me at that point in my life and that point in my ministry. And then he moved on. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, God broke into my life in a new way and shook me up and shook me up a bit out of my attitude. Eventually, I let go of some of those barriers that I put up. And I started to worship God in a way that I'd never done before. It's like I gave God my attitude. I gave God fully every part of myself. And I expected to meet with God when I came to worship. I expected God to transform me. I started to worship in a way that I hadn't done before. I expected the Holy Spirit to speak to me. And even when I forgot to actually expect God to come and meet me in worship or in prayer. He sometimes just did anyway, whether it was in a church service like this one here, or whether it was walking somewhere or on a bus. Sometimes just God showed up and spoke to me, or just showed me something of his love or something of his presence with me, even when I wasn't (coughs) expecting it. I wonder if you've ever had a sort of experience of God where you might describe it as being overcome in the presence of God. 
I wonder if you've ever had an experience like that. Maybe you might have been in a prayer meeting or, or just on your own praying or worshipping somewhere. And you felt like God was so close, the presence of God was so close that you thought, if I open my eyes, I'm going to see Jesus. Or maybe you've had an experience where it felt like your emotions were just bubbling up inside you as you worship God because you were so aware of his love for you or so aware of his forgiveness and the way that he had changed your life. Or maybe you've experienced real freedom and praise and joy in worship. Maybe you've never experienced that at all and you're sat there thinking, that just sounds alien, I haven't got a clue what she's talking about. Maybe you've never experienced God in that way and that's fine. You're not a lesser Christian. But maybe it's something that you want. Isaiah the prophet is in the temple. He's like in church, basically. And it's the year, Isaiah 6 verse 1 tells us, it's the year that King Uzziah died, around 740 BC. It's a time of real transition for the people of Israel. And maybe Isaiah had gone to the temple that day feeling really cynical about the job that God had given him to do. Maybe he was really fed up that actually he spent so much effort, so much time trying to tell people to come back to God and they were just ignoring him and they were just doing their own thing and they were trying to manipulate God for their own benefit. So maybe he turned up at the temple that day actually really fed up and out of sorts with God. Or maybe he turned up at the temple that day expectant, knowing that he was there to worship the living God. We don't know. But as he enters into the rituals of the temple worship, something happens, and he's caught up in that worship. He's overcome by the worship, and he has this incredible vision of God that we read about in Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 1 says this, I, that's Isaiah, I saw the Lord seated on, on his throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. It's this incredible, majestic vision of God. He sees God. And yet we know that in John 1.18, uh, it tells us that no one has actually seen God, seen the face of God. So what does Isaiah actually see in this vision that he has? He might not have seen the face of God, but he still glimpses God as he really is. And how is God in this vision? He sees God as a king, majestic, seated on his throne. But it's not like a throne here with us, the people. It's high and it's lifted up. And he's wearing this huge robe, this huge robe. And it fills the the throne room. It's symbolic of God's glory filling the whole earth. It's an incredible scene, the smoke and all sorts of stuff going on. It's an incredible sight. And in that moment, it's like for Isaiah, heaven has touched earth. And Isaiah stands there and he must have been overcome, you know, with his arms wide as he just sees the awesome presence of God before him. God knew that in order for Isaiah to be the person and to complete the job, that God had called him to do, to face the persecution that he'd have to face, to face the rejection that he'd have to face. 
Isaiah's vision of God needed to expand. It needed to get bigger. And how big did, God, did Isaiah's vision of God become? I wonder, is our vision of God big enough? Is your vision of God big enough? Or do we perhaps like parcel God up into a sort of uh, uh, our size God that we can get our head around and imagine as people, manageable for us to handle? Isaiah found himself in the presence of God and he was completely overcome. He was caught up in this ongoing praise of heaven. And when we come to, to worship on a Sunday or another time during the week, that's what we're doing. We're being caught up in the ongoing praise of heaven. Do you think that? Do you think, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to be caught up in the ongoing praise of heaven? Probably not. But that is what we're doing. When we stand here together and we sing these songs uh, of holiness, of God's holiness, and we worship him and praise him, we're joining with the song of heaven. We're joining with the praise and worship of heaven. Is that how we view what we do here? Is our vision of God big enough? Is our vision of worship big enough? Or do we sometimes reduce God to fit in with our own imagination of who we understand God to be? And if we've reduced God to our imagination, what does that do to our expectation of what we think God might be doing in the world or in our lives? What does that do to our expectation of what God is doing in the corridors of power or in the lives of people who have all the money or in those places in the world where people are desolate or in places where there are disasters? Do we know that God is greater than he that is in the world? And if we reduce God, do we actually reduce our expectation of how we might work, meet with him in worship or the impact that he might have on our lives? Maybe we need to expand our vision of who God is and what he is doing in the world and can do in our lives. And so Isaiah is caught up in this incredible vision of heaven. He's overcome by it. And he sees seraphs, these like crazy heavenly creatures that have wings, multiple wings. Uh, and they're standing uh, there. But he's seated because he's the king and he's on his throne. And they're, they're serving him and they're calling to one another this incredible song of praise. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. And in that moment, Isaiah is just broken in the presence of God. He's undone, if you like. That's our second point. Undone. Isaiah is undone in the presence of God. When I was a child, we had like greengrocers at the end of people's roads. That was the thing, you know, in the... 80s and 90s when I was a child and uh, what I used to love is my mum sometimes would would say oh Libby could you go to the greengrocers and get me whatever it was some apples or 
pears or something. And she used to give me a shopping bag and some money. And when I was like seven or eight, I felt really grown up walking down the street with my bag and my, my money. And I used to think, does that, don't anybody else used to do this thing where they thought, I wonder if anybody, everybody thinks I'm a grown-up because I'm on my own. Uh, I used to think like that. And anyway, this particular day, uh, my mum had sent me to the greengrocers to get some potatoes. And I'd gone and I'd handed over my, my money and I was a real grown-up, aged about eight, and I had my bag full of potatoes. And I was walking home along Winchester Road in Sheffield where I lived with my bag of potatoes. And as you do when you're a child, I was swinging this bag of potatoes on the way home. Now, potatoes are heavy, so I got a really good swing on as I was like walking home, you know, doing this, looking in everybody's houses. I still do that, it's really interesting. And, um, and I'm there swinging my bag of potatoes, and then I realized I could swing the whole way around like this. So I was walking along the street, I must have looked quite a sight, swinging my bag of potatoes round like this, minding my own business, and yes, you've got it. The bag, became untied and those potatoes flung everywhere like miniature cannonballs all over Winchester Road in Sheffield. And they bounced off cars and the pavement. I'm sure some went into gardens and hit small unsuspecting children on the heads. And those potatoes went everywhere. I was mortified. I gathered up all the potatoes, not all of them because they were in gardens, and put them back in my bag and went home and handed those potatoes innocently to my Mum, when something comes undone, everything spills out, doesn't it? When something comes undone, everything spills out. Or when something comes undone, things are exposed. Matt Redman, in his uh, book, The Unquenchable Worshipper, calls Isaiah an undone worshipper. An undone worshipper. Because in the presence of God, under the spotlight of God's love, in the presence of God's holiness, Isaiah is undone. He's undone. He's exposed. Everything is out there. Did you notice that when the seraphs in that passage are calling to each other, they say this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They don't say, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And there's real significance there because in Hebrew, when things were said three times or the number three was used, it's, it's, a, it's symbolic of completeness or totality. And so they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is completely and totally holy. And Isaiah is stood there and he becomes starkly aware of his sinfulness in the presence of God's purity and complete holiness. And he becomes aware that he lives amongst a people who have messed up and are broken and are unholy as well. And he says this, woe to me. He says, I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. He's saying, you know, what comes out of my mouth? It's a reflection of what's going on in my heart and I am a sinner. I'm messed up and I'm broken. 
As Isaiah has been overcome in worship, as he's become aware of the holiness, the perfection of God, he becomes aware of himself. And he's undone. It's like his insides are exposed. He knows that God can see him. And he knows that he's not perfect. He knows he's broken and he's sinful. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think I'm all right, actually. You know, compared to other people, I'm not really a massive sinner. Compared to people who, you know, don't know Jesus Christ as their savior, I haven't done much wrong, really. I'm okay, really. But look what's going on for Isaiah here. He's not comparing himself to other people. He's comparing himself to the holy, majestic, king of kings, lord of lords. And in comparison, he's undone because he knows he is a sinful man. He knows he is a sinful man. A couple of summers ago, uh, we were decorating our house that we'd recently moved into. Um, I don't think it had been decorated for around 25 years, and there were some very dubious color schemes going on. You know, if you like tangerine walls and sunflower yellow, psychedelic wallpaper, you'd have loved this house. Anyway, there was one room that was actually not so bad, and that was the downstairs toilet. And... Um, and actually, I went in and I thought, actually, th this room's looking all right. You know, the, the woodwork looks okay. Don't really like the color of the walls, so we'll just paint the walls. And in fact, Jess, who some of you know here, she sings sometimes. Uh, Jess was around at my house, and she joined me, and we were like, yeah, we're going to nail this. We're going to paint these walls this morning. And so we duly painted walls, rolled walls didn't go like that uh, we rolled the walls and changed the color and we went in, in the afternoon and I was like this is really nice it's it's really fresh it looks great but there was something wrong because now the woodwork that I thought oh this is actually really okay didn't look okay it looked a bit sort of yellow and discolored and you notice the chips in the paint of the woodwork I wouldn't have noticed it before but compared with the nice, beautiful, fresh walls we just painted, that woodwork actually didn't look so good anymore. We might think we're okay, but when we come face to face with God, when we come face to face with his holiness, we can become more aware of who we really are in his presence. Writer Richard Forster calls it God's scrutiny of love. I love that. God's scrutiny of love. When we come to worship, whoever we are, wherever we're worshiping, we might want to put ourselves under God's scrutiny of love. Maybe we need to allow him to shine his torch into the secret places of our lives. And sometimes when we do that, the Holy Spirit just starts to niggle our conscience. He might make us aware of something that we've done or thought or said or said behind somebody's back. He raises that 
to the fore. And we know that actually compared to this holy, incredible God who we're worshipping, there's stuff in our lives that's messed up that we need to bring before God and, and say, sorry, God, I've messed this up and confess to him. And when we do that, do you know what? God doesn't leave us as we are because he is a God of love, God's scrutiny of love. God might undo us, but he also puts us back together again. He doesn't leave us as we are. And that's exactly what happens to Isaiah. He's overcome in the presence of God. He's undone. He becomes aware of his own sin. And then God puts him back together again. Verses 6 and 7. One of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand. It's a bit weird, isn't it? Uh, which he's taken from, uh, with tongs from the altar. Where does Sarah get tongues from? Don't worry about it. And with it, he touched my mouth and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Did you notice Isaiah didn't have to do anything? He's just stood here having a lovely time in the presence of God. And the seraph goes to the altar, the symbol in the temple of the sacrifice for sin. The blood of a lamb or something was shed on that altar. And he takes the burning coal, that symbol of sacrifice for sin, and he comes and brings it to Isaiah. And he touches Isaiah's lips. Why his lips? Because that is the, the, the place of his sin. Remember he said, my lips are unclean. And so he touches that place of sin and he cleanses him of the sin in that symbolic way. And his sin is taken away. That sacrifice for sin is enough. He can be guilt-free. And it's all because of the grace of God. And it's like in this moment, Isaiah has a foretaste of what Jesus does, what the cross is all about. The reason Jesus shed his blood on the cross is so that we could stand here and have our sins forgiven. So that because of God's grace, uh, Christ could say, I've done it. I've taken your sin upon myself. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. You are free. I have done it. Hebrews 10 verse 10 says this, and by that we, we will, well, by that we will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all, once and for all. Jesus on the cross took our sin upon himself once and for all. If you've ever had an appraisal in your workplace, You'll know there are two key things uh, that need to be in place in order to allow that appraisal to be effective. First thing, you need to put your trust in the appraiser. You need to be able to trust the appraiser. You need to be able to trust that they have your best interests at heart, that they're not just out to get you. And then secondly, you need to actually make yourself vulnerable and be open and honest in that appraisal. I wonder if sometimes we just close ourselves off to the Holy Spirit because maybe we don't feel that we can trust God. Maybe we've got a false image of who God is or have made God too small. 
We convince ourselves maybe that God, he can't possibly forgive me. He can't possibly forgive me. So I'm just not going to go there. Or we know that actually making ourselves vulnerable might be so difficult and so painful that as much as we know there is stuff in our lives that we need God to work on, we sort of compartmentalize stuff and shut it off from God because we're worried about going there with God. Hearing truth is never easy. But the Bible tells us that God is loving and he is compassionate. He's slow to anger and he is abounding in love. He is kind and he is patient and he's forgiving. And he wants to restore (coughs) us and heal us. Yes, he'll undo us, but then he'll put us back together again. So firstly, Isaiah is overcome. And then he's undone and put back together. And then lastly, Isaiah is sent. Verse 8. The Lord Almighty calls out, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. It's from this place of being caught up in this heavenly worship, of experiencing God's forgiveness and grace, that Isaiah is able to take up this incredible challenge and say to God, here I am, send me. He doesn't know where he's going to go. Actually, if you go on to read the rest of Isaiah, you find that Isaiah has a really tough time. It was not easy. It was not easy being a prophet in the Old Testament. He faced some horrendous hardship. But actually, in that moment, he knew that God had equipped him and called him. And he was able to say, here I am, send me. Do you know how many weeks, weeks, how many hours we have in a week? 168 hours in a week. You have 160, you all have the same, just in case you're wondering, 168 hours in a week. We sort of sleep for on average eight hours a night. So that's 56 hours you're asleep. We have two hours on average, people who go to church, where we do like worship stuff together in some way. That's two hours. That leaves us with 110 hours. That's quite a lot of time, isn't it? We have 110 hours. And in those 110 hours, we're called to mirror the majesty of the maker. We've got 110 hours to say to God, here I am, send me. And to go out and mirror the majesty of the maker, however that looks for you. For some of us, it might be that you going, here I am, said me this week, means that God is going to take you to a place that you've never been before with him. You might end up in conversations when you say that, which you go, oh my goodness, I cannot believe I ended up having that conversation with that person. That's what God does when we say, here I am, send me. It doesn't mean that we have to have all the answers. That's why we have Alpha, so we can say, hey, come along with me, because I don't know all the answers. Come to Alpha, and I'll take you with me. It just means that we have to be open to God 
Allow him to undo us and put us back together and then say, here I am, send me. And whether you're a student, whether you go to work, whether you stay at home or whether you hang out with mates every day, whether you're social, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, we all have those 110 hours where God can work in us and use us so that other people may come to know him, to experience his love and transformation for themselves. So I wonder, are you ready to be overcome by the majesty and the wonder of God? Are you up for being undone in his presence and saying, hey God, you know, actually, yeah, you need to do some work on me. You need to do some heart surgery. And are we ready to say, here I am, send me. I've got 110 hours this week. Here they are, they're yours.